Welcome to the Best Work Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Henley-Smith. The goal of this show is to uncover the personal stories of successful software engineers, founders, thinkers, and leaders who are all navigating their own working journey. Finding our best work is often this hidden journey, uncovered through an ongoing conversation with ourselves and the world around us. Every one of these episodes is packed full of timeless ideas you could apply to your own life. In this conversation, I speak to Tim Chong, co-founder and CEO at Yonder. Tim's story bucks the trend culturally and personally. Tim has a unique awareness of what he calls his mental itches, inclinations that he treats as seeds, giving them the time and space to take root. We discuss why there is never a binary moment where people realize they've made it. Why our best work doesn't have to be limited to a small number of skilled professions. We discuss how boredom while volunteering and a road to Damascus moment shaped Tim's view and gave him the niggling feeling that led Tim to found Yonder. Tim also discusses how he has previously defined his own best work extrinsically rather than intrinsically and how a consciously defined Plan Z allows him to view risk from a completely fresh perspective. What myths do you think need demystifying when it comes to funding work? I think, yes, I think there's a couple of myths from my perspective. I think one is just follow your passion. I think that's great to an extent, but I think you actually rightly pointed out where your interests meet the needs of the world. I think that's quite important, right? This is not a hobby. And to, to the extent that actually your passion still needs to create some sort of value, for society or for markets or anything so you can generally get paid for it. I think that's still important because I think oftentimes we say just follow your passion but you know, being mindful of like is that a passion that also has intersection with needs of the world? I think that's incredibly important. Otherwise, that's a hobby. <laughs> and hobbies are great, right? And actually, I don't think that's a bad thing but sometimes mixing them up uh, can be you know, dangerous in a way because you can often take you down to weird paths. Uh, I, I think the second thought I had was also that it's this you've made it sort of mountain, like you, you, you kind of journey there and all of a sudden you've made it and, and it's very binary, you did or you didn't. But I think actually to an extent recognising it's a bit of a journey as well and each moment in the journey can actually be deeply satisfying as well. I think you know, you've started a company and I think one of the things I recognise is that as a startup there's always more to do. There's always more growth, there's always more you know, things that you should and could do but oftentimes, I think I've often described it as when you're walking up the mountain, it's not the peak that's the most satisfying, but also just stopping along the way and looking out the mountain and being like, wow, look how far we've come. This is really deeply satisfying. With, the, with passion, those are, you've, you've picked up on like two really clear kind of cliches, I guess, like follow your passion and, mm-hmm. like, um, and focusing on those, the, the destination of, of where you're going next and not recognizing what's happening around you it's almost as if like it's not that you're saying you shouldn't follow your passion it's that that's not the only thing that you need to be thinking about Uh, it's almost as if people can become religious about following your 
passion and say that actually you only need to do this one really click clear hacky thing which is just follow your passion when actually there's another part to it another part to it too why do you think that we miss that second part i think it just sounds a lot better on twitter and as advice to just say follow your passion i think we like to make things in life very clear and binary versus like a lot more gray and nuanced i think that when I was growing up, it wasn't really clear that this is my passion, go follow that, this is my life's work. I think it was much more of a, I would sort of describe it as like wandering the wilderness for a while and sort of, I like those things and I like elements of that. Um, and actually just recognizing that it's actually sort of looking for an intersection of points versus just a simple follow your passion. I think that's really important to recognize because it is still work. And I think sometimes there are moments where work is hard, but that doesn't mean it's not your passion. It can just be hard. I think that's, that's one sort of, it's a slight tangential point, but I think oftentimes the founder story of a company is very much, you're doing your best work. You're, you know, you're finding a company. That's like the pinnacle of finding fulfilling work. But there are times when I wake up and it's just a bit of a grind. You know, it's not always exciting and feeling amazing. But when I take a step back, I definitely feel like I'm operating in my place of like where I want to be. But it's definitely day-to-day not always like that. And I think that's a a thing that people often miss as well. Um, You know, being passionate about something or finding fulfilling doesn't mean every single day is going to be beautiful and, you know, riding rainbows and things like that. Yeah, it's almost like the the gaps being... uh elongated is being made bigger if you have more and more people saying that all you need to do is to do the simple thing which is follow your passion but yet the the truth of the scenario is actually the opposite which is that you're in the wilderness the the gap between those two things getting bigger feels like a negative yeah i think so and i think um it can often lead people to just feel very dissatisfied with their work today because they're like there's this oasis or magical nirvana of work that if I get there work will become fulfilling and I don't think that's ever the case I think for you know many founders I've even spoken to the idea of taking a company public or you know getting a great exit from M&A can sound like the pinnacle but actually then you're like well now what do I do right and then actually I think a, a better way of thinking about it is how do you appreciate the moments of work today for what it is as well and actually you know appreciate the day-to-day work and be like actually how can i enjoy those moments as well sounds like the two are, are related um what's underneath that i think that there is a my view is a common misconception that finding good work will mean every part of like your life will now be fine it's you know especially in a very korean driven society now where career is a big part of your life you move city for korean things like that I think it's a really important part of your life, but it isn't your life as well. And I think if you try and find life fulfillment in work alone, you'll always be left a little bit empty. You know, you'll always be like, but you know, you always meet people like this. It's like, if I just get that next job, the next title, the next salary, that next opportunity, then everything will be fine. And I actually think finding good work is actually, you know, obviously finding work that has a bit of an overlap with passion or what the world needs. And then just enjoying it for that moment as well. And just appreciating that as well. Almost like smell the roses today rather than thinking about just the future. And I, I think there's a healthy tension in both of those. But I think this misconception that I'll just spend my entire life finding the perfect job or the perfect role, I think will always leave you feeling a little bit empty. And so I think 
And I think about good work. I think a good work paying an important part of my life, but not being the thing in life as well. Mm. It feels like there's a there's maybe a difference between those who are doing a job and then want to be doing the next thing versus those who are kind of sharing their gift with the world because they love doing it. Like if you can get to the point where you're not too bothered about the the more senior job than you, but instead you feel like through the day to day you're you're able to kind of contribute to society through the work that you do. It, it almost feels like they're two different things in a way. Yeah, I, I, actually, I think it's a good distinction. I, I think um, oftentimes we forget about our work as an important contribution to society. And I think in that way, that's actually quite a fulfilling feeling as well. You know, making coffee for people in the morning is actually contributing to the needs of these customers in the morning to be have a great coffee, to have a great chat with someone. And I think we often ignore those actually that work in itself should contribute to the needs of society and good work does contribute to i would describe it as like the flourishing of society i spent a bunch of time living in kenya which is you know often a place where there's a lot of international development and aid and if you take a step back a lot of the aid work shouldn't need to exist if there's a functioning ecosystem of like good work happening if you think about just something like roads or water supply it's actually provided in in markets like the uk through companies like thames water where people who work there and sometimes you might not think about your work in the context of actually if thames water perks aren't doing their good work we're not getting fresh water in our pipes and it, it seems a bit weird because we take it for granted every morning that we just we open our tap and fresh water comes out. But actually, the work that people are doing is actually incredibly good work because without that work, we wouldn't have that. So I think it's actually, I think there's actually something that's really special about appreciating the work that you do and how it contributes to the greater societal needs. It's a wonderful analogy with Thames Water. Mm. That makes complete sense, but yet day to day, I really don't think about it like that. Yeah, I think oftentimes we don't take a step back and think about the implications of our work on society. I think actually as a leader of a company, that's an important role that leaders have as well. There's that classic story, whether it was correct or not, but it was the question of someone at NASA saying to a cleaner, what's your job? And the cleaner being like, I'm helping get a man to the moon. And I don't know whether that's true, but I think there's this idea that people seeing their work within the context of a greater goal, greater ambition that contributes net to society. And I think you actually you can find good work through any type of work. I think there is a just a general, I guess a general kind of misconception that good work needs to be instead of a professional work, being a software engineer or, you know, working as a founder or being a sort of a revolutionary, you know, um, visionary of a company. But actually I think good work can be found through any type of work, and to an extent, instead of the posture you take towards that work, uh, that can make that work good work as well. Uh, my, you know, my father-in-law and mother-in-law, they work at a factory, and they don't necessarily feel like this is the most fulfilling work, but for them, they see their work as a provision towards the family, and for them, that's good work. Good work for them is providing and things like that, and I think actually times we can think about good work has to be like fulfilling for myself personally, but actually fulfilling to family needs, fulfilling to societal needs. In my mind, those are good work as well. 
And I think my view is that that's, you know, you can think about good work through many lenses, not just sort of self-satisfaction. How did you develop this view? And where did it come from? I think there was a couple of points in my career journey where I think actually, I'd be actually, funnily enough, I started a very classical job in consulting. And then after spending a couple of years there, I became a disappeared disillusioned and decided to, to become a volunteer. So I moved to Cambodia and quit my job, or basically took a leave of absence with the goal of, you know, maybe I'll find good work volunteering in Cambodia, becoming a missionary, you know, all, all the glamorous things you can think about is like, you're doing good for the world. And I spent a couple of months there and I actually found myself feeling a little bit left empty, being like, is this it? Like, this is meant to be the pinnacle of self-actualization, you know, giving your time and life to helping other people. And I think I was quite bored. It's actually very bored. It was really? not mentally stimulating. It was like doing mentoring for university students in Phnom Penh, which is a city in Cambodia. But I actually found the problem solving and things like that. of like just working on tough problems I didn't really have there. They're more like people problems. So I actually came back to consulting, which is very bizarre because you know, no one ever does that sort of leave to volunteer. It's like from one life to the other. Exactly. Uh, but I found that actually it was, I found like she wasn't very fulfilled doing that. Um, and I think sort of fast forward even then, I spent a couple of years of consulting. I then did a year living in Kenya, working in our international development consulting arm, which again should feel like the most good work to do. It's international development, it's aid work, it's... It's all the things that people aspire to do. You know, once I leave my corporate job, I'll go and work in the not-for-profit sector. Uh, and, you know, funnily enough, I found that, like, day-to-day, the work was pretty much the same. I was in meetings. I was still writing reports. I was still doing presentations. There was still a lot of the, the same things I was still doing day-to-day. And I think the realization that it's, it's less about, you know, just picking the perfect job, but actually sort of your posture towards that job that actually is much more important than just finding good work through, oh, I'm going to work in aid tick that's everything's now going to be fulfilling and perfect because i actually found actually um i wouldn't say i became disillusioned but i think i realized that just trying to solve this by sort of ticking what society calls like good work is actually probably not the right way of, of doing it it's interesting that uh, your definition of work there was defined by something outside of you that was the kind of society's definition of best work rather than your own in a way. Yeah, I think, I think so. I think it was almost, I came to the conclusion after all that, that was like, maybe I need a new definition for myself. And I think for me, good work is I love building. So building company is like a core part of that. It's something I genuinely enjoy and could be building a product, could be building a company, but just the sense of building is for me is very exciting. Starting from almost creating nothing from, so getting something from nothing, sort of every idea that I really, really enjoy. Uh, but I think it was sort of this path of just sort of, again, seven, eight years of just in the wilderness, you know, try that, see how I feel about that, try that, see how I feel about that, try that, see how I feel about that. Um, and I think not, even now though, I'm building and I absolutely love what I'm doing. But there are definitely times when I'm like, oh, this is, you know, I'm not waking up with a bounce my stuff every day. That's That would be a lie. There's some days that are hard, some days that are great. I'd say I'm net. I'm definitely in my sweet spot. Um, and so, you know, if I actually kind of, if I have to graph it, it would almost be like, life's like this and it's kind of like this. And hopefully you're trending up towards something that you really enjoy. But it's not like this straight linear line and it's more like the try that, try that, try that. And, and I think 
that's the way I kind of think about what good work looks like is actually almost the journey itself is just as important as the end point. Uh-huh. How have your parents and your upbringing affected your choice of work? So my parents were immigrants from Malaysia. And so when they moved, they were about 30 years old when they moved to Australia. They basically had to take a reset on their career. Uh, my dad was an engineer and my mum was a pharmacist and it was quite difficult for her to basically work as a pharmacist. She, she practiced in the UK uh, in Malaysia, but, but couldn't easily practice as a pharmacist. And so she basically took a step back to then become the full-time carer for, for me and my sister. And my dad basically had to restart his career at Hewlett Packard, essentially joining pretty much after, even though, you know, eight years, seven, eight years career, I had to sort of start again, essentially as, a, as an immigrant starting again. And I think one of the things I recognized was for them, good work was actually providing for family. It was, we, we were starting our life from scratch and we need to sort of do good work to provide. And so I think for them, their context of work has always been around, you know, doing interesting work, but actually primarily provision, uh, which I think is a really interesting idea because I don't think our generation think often that about that. We have to kind of say, how do I find good work that's fulfilling for myself? And, you know, whilst I've been really fortunate enough to find good work that I find personally fulfilling, I also recognize that's not always the case for everyone. And that's okay as well. I think actually for them, good work's provision for other people is still good work. Um, and, you know, I was fortunate enough to spend almost 25 years at Hiller Packard, which is a, a great tech company. I kind of just landed in that, but, um, it, you know, it wasn't always easy, but I think for him, we always looked at it with the context of provision for family. And so I think, you know, when we started work, it was really about this idea of finding a stable job that provides. Uh, and, and oftentimes when you marry two Asian families or ethnic families, uh, the first question is like, how will you provide for my daughter? Uh, and the question is like, what kind of work do you do? Uh, you know, all of a sudden I'm like, well, I'm going to quit my job and start a company, <laughs> which is a bit of a crazy idea. But, you know, having to recognize that that's an important part of how I form my view on work as well, which is actually for my family's view, which is actually provision is a key part of that as well. And so, you know, starting a company isn't something we took really lightly as, as, a, as a family. My wife and I were thinking about, you know, we still have to think about provision and, and things like that and not just about finding work that I enjoy doing. Your story is one that bucks the trend and it makes me reflect on all the other people who may be in a similar circumstance where they've grown up in a culture that incentivizes and celebrates uh, the avoidance of risk in some ways and for good and for bad reasons. How did you overcome that? I think it's quite funny because I think there's, this, again, this conception of, you know, being a founder, which is just like, you know, close your eyes, just jump into the water, don't even think about anything. But, you know, for my wife and I, it was thinking really about what is, what is the level of risk that we can tolerate? Uh, we don't have kids, we can tolerate more risks. Uh, you know, what is the absolute, you know, we always joke, like, what is absolute worst case scenario? Well, we can just move back with our family, right? Like, it, there's no situation where we can't provide food on the table and provide for family and so actually that was like a level of risk tolerance that we could accept uh and so i think we were kind of the framework of actually what's the i, I think um reed hoffman has this concept of you know, abz planning which is this idea of like what is the the plan z which is like what is the absolute worst case and i was like it's actually helpful for us to go there 
and go like, what is the absolute worst case? The absolute worst case is, gosh, I can go back to a good job in consulting, right? That's the worst case. I'm, I'm going to be fine. And I think actually that was a really helpful framework as well, even communicating to the family who are obviously initially quite concerned about like, what are you doing? This is, we started, we started yonder quite literally in the middle of COVID, in the middle of a deep recession. <laughs> and this feeling of like, what are you doing? You should be staying in a stable job right now. And I think going explaining to them, like, look, you know, we're very qualified. We have a lot of opportunity career-wise. There is always a plan Z, right? So, so don't worry about that. We've always got plan Z. And I think, I think we couldn't ignore communicating that to our family as an important aspect in the decision-making. I think it would actually be quite selfish for us to be like, don't worry about it, we'll be fine, we'll ignore it. Like actually take them through the thought process and explain it to them. Because again, for them, providing stability for families is a really important part of the culture. And it's something that we want to respect um, despite taking much higher risk than they would typically want to do. Mm. It's so difficult to know what parts of that to respect in the way that you have but also buck and challenge and change it's, it almost feels like a, a kind of minefield in a way yeah i think ultimately there's an extent of just trust me to make good decisions <laughs> it's like trust us we can make great decisions and i think ultimately the way i thought about it was Do we do need to take risks in life? And there's a level of risk tolerance that I'm very happy to take. Not everyone's happy to take it. And that's each to their own. But I think ultimately we have to part our own journey. And I think I even saw that across the MBA cohort I graduated with when I started my MBA a couple of years ago. People had different risk tolerance. You know, some people wanted to join the safe, sort of McKinsey, Goldman, the investment banking um, or consulting track. And there were a small subset that were like, I want to go and do my own startup and it's definitely not right for everyone. Uh, but I think actually just choosing your own path is so important. It, it seems obvious, but actually just going, who am I and what do I want to do? And what's the list times I'm happy to take? Cause I actually think being clear on the risks to yourself is actually still an important aspect of it. And just being like, I can afford to take that risk and I'll take that risk. Cause I, th I think now I'll probably strongly recommend against you know, putting your personal assets on the line <laughs> to start a startup because I think that's actually a really dangerous decision to make. And, and you know, it could be a risk that you might be willing to take, but that's something that I always recommend to people starting companies. Now, look, just be smart about your personal assets as well. No one really talks about it. It's sort of this weird, you know, it should always be like give it all. You know, ignore ignore pesticide but hey like just be keeping just, just keep that in mind don't ignore it and i think people don't talk about that i think it must be a real challenge to decipher between cultural differences and kind of personal and practical differences in the specific scenario of your your family and making sure that you are doing the right thing by your culture and by your family there's a there's a certainly a a part to a parent and a parent psychology that finds it uh typically parents find it difficult to accept their their children kind of far out doing their success there's a kind of like a challenge there where and and it's and it's likewise like we as uh 
children, for example, find it more challenging to kind of be ambitious if it means that we surpass the success of our parents because we don't want to kind of um, put the, kind of rock the boat in that scenario or or make the the situation kind of difficult and and create those those conflicts and uh so it's hard to know in that circumstance like what is kind of where do you respect the culture and embrace it and on the other hand where do you also recognize the personal circumstances between you and your parents and whereabouts the the lines are yeah i think i'd say it's less about surpassing or not i think there's actually generally happiness to see the next generation do better I think it's actually more around the risk side that's more of a factor. It's like, what are you risking? I think that's probably more important rather than surpassing. I think actually there's a general sentiment of actually I want you to do better than we did. We had to struggle as immigrants moving over. We had to start from scratch. You now have a platform to build from, build build even bigger and things like that. I think it's uh, what level of risk are you taking? I think actually what they're more worried about is actually you being worse off than them it's we've worked so hard to get you here don't go worse off and that's such a difficult decision to make because ultimately the route to success is usually through some kind of trepidation and so in your circumstance where you are making that decision to to go on the adventure that is more risky how 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 can you kind of communicate that in order to do better you have to take that risk yeah honestly it's a really difficult one to explain (laughs) Because I think there's an argument that you could take the safe route, which is just take a great job in consulting or a corporate job, and I will end up just doing better just by pure, if you stay the job long enough, you'll just do better. But quite frankly, I wasn't interested in doing that. <laughs> and I think, I think actually the motivation is important because I think for me personally, it wasn't about so this level of achievement. It, that was not not the end goal. It was to do something that I genuinely love generally passionate about and generally proud to do less so about net doing better than my family's generation. Cause I think actually with the fact that, you know, my wife's fam- my wife is one of the first to be totally educated in her family. It's like, she's already made it. She's already made it. Um, and so it's less about that, but more about actually, I think we, the, the argument we always say to them is we're taking the risk because you gave us the opportunity to take the risk. Mm-hmm. it would almost be a waste to not take the risk because actually the platform we've been given gives us the capacity to take the risk because we're not worrying about can we pay rent this month we're not worrying about can we put food on the table you know we were so fortunate enough to be born in australia or the uk for many people where you can take the risk right there's always a, there's there's a pretty good cushion if you're a smart ambitious person there is a cushion available for you and so we were like, actually, to not take the risk is a waste. Now, I'd say it doesn't apply to every country, though, where you grow up. And that's, that's I recognize that, speaking from a lot of privilege. The very natural question I'm sure they ask is why. And uh, you then move into uh, a kind of, how have you worked out why? How did you answer that question? I think it's a combination of I wouldn't do this if I didn't feel conviction that this is the right thing to do. And secondly, I've thought this through, trust me. 
And it was, it was sort of a weird feeling of actually just letting go, being like, just, just trust me, we've thought this through, a conviction over it, and we've thought this through. I'm... And for you, how have you gone about working out why it sounded like the kind of top of your pyramid was less about achievement and more about some kind of actualization in a way? How have you gone about working out what it is that you really want to do and, and kind of defining why you're making these big life decisions? I think the way I describe this is niggling feeling, which is a very weird I don't know how to describe it. And I'm sure when you started court, it was just this niggling feeling that just kind of eats at you for just so long that you're like, I can't not do it. It, it actually honestly got to the point where it's like, I can't not do it. That, that's actually honestly the conclusion I came to. It was, I got into FinTech in 2016, not through the classical FinTech, but actually I was living in Kenya and I met with the, the team who started M-Pesa, which is a mobile payment product. And completely revolutionized how the country moved money, spent, I think, one point half the GDP of Kenya flows to Pesa. And I was just like, I honestly described it as like the road to Damascus. I was like, holy cow, this is incredible. I want to do something in this space. Like, I just, just this feeling like I want to do something in this space. That was actually the reason why we moved to London. That was a big factor of moving to London. One of the best places to build a fintech. And it's this niggling feeling of like, I can't not do it now. Like I just, I can't, it's just there and it's niggling there. And, you know, a lot of people have always, you know, as people said, like, I just grew up knowing I want to start this company. And I would say like, that was not true for me. I didn't wake up out of my mother's womb being like, I want to start a company doing X. It was definitely a gradual thing over many years being like, I see this problem, I see this problem, I see this problem, I see this problem. Why hasn't anyone fixed it? Like, why hasn't anyone done anything about it? And that realization of like, why don't you go do it? Like, Tim, why don't you go do it? This is a niggling feeling you've had for so many years now. Go and, go and solve that problem. And so it does sound a bit cliche, but, it, but it's genuinely true. And it was definitely, what it, what it wasn't though was this, I woke up one morning and boom, it happened. It was definitely this process of years thinking about it. I always joke to the team that if you want to, when people ask, when did the company start? I'm like, well, the question is, are you asking when I put on a company's house? Well, we've got funding. Oh, when the first seed started. And I say the seed started five years ago, five, six years ago. But the seed kind of needed a bit of watering over many, many years. And I think for me, I needed the seed had to be watered sufficiently enough to have enough conviction to then say, okay, let's go and do it now. I would say five years ago, I had enough conviction. Do you get niggling feelings in other parts of your life? Probably not, no. <laughs> Which is a bit of a strange one. I think that's probably why when people said, isn't it hard to do it? I'm like, it wasn't. It was just so, it always became so obvious by the time I got there. It's funny there was never that, a single moment. Yeah. I, I wonder why that niggling, because it's like, it's like, what is that niggling feeling? Like, what is it? Is it dissatisfaction? Is it like, are you kind of always dissatisfied? You know, you hear like Steve Jobs being in the, in his house and not buying any furniture because he just hates anything but something absolutely beautiful. And it's like, well, there's mm. clearly, he's got niggles all over the place that are kind of mm. surrounding, surrounding him. And it's fascinating that there's just that one drip from that experience in Kenya that's just kind of gnawing. 
Yeah, no, you probably right. There probably other nigglings, but I think the nigglings weren't enough for me to go and say, let's build a business out of it. That was probably the main distinction. I don't know whether that was a conscious way of thinking or a unconscious. Yeah, do you put any proactive effort into listening to whatever that, you you could call it a niggle, maybe you could call it an inclination, uh, you could call it the seeds of a passion even. It's something at, at trying to take root. And I guess you've got this choice if you've got if if you're conscious about it to listen to it and somehow some people are better at listening to these things than others do do you do you have a way of listening to it i think i i made an effort to notice it and write it down that's actually all i did a lot of things just start writing it down which sounds very trivial but it's just you just don't know how you can build off it and I always joke that Yonder started from literally a note on Evernote with some just scattered thoughts. Uh, and it eventually took me many years to give you what it is now, but it was literally just some thoughts on Evernote being like, what if we could solve this problem? That'd be interesting. That'd be fun. Like, that'd be a really interesting problem to solve. And that was sort of it. But yeah, I think it, you're completely right. I think as you say it, I think there's an element of just noticing it. I think the difference between, I think most people experience some level of just like, this is annoying, this doesn't work. I think that the difference between people who start a company and not is really, do they notice it? Do they do something about it? Um, and then make it happen. But I think oftentimes perceived as this like linear, like it all happens in one go, but I think it happens over a long period of time. Well, for me, it did anyway, many years. I think what people also, I think what might be helpful to know is that, and tell me if I'm wrong here, it feels like your that inclination that you've got to start a company is no different to someone's curiosity and their inclination to just follow something that they're passionate about. Mm. It's, there's no, in, in some ways, you turn your passions into the into your company in a way. It's mm. it's more that that kind of niggle and that inclination. That's that's the thing that kind of it's it's not just about starting companies. It's about pursuing. It's about understanding yourself, I guess, and figuring out how you can take those things that are popping up from underneath you that you can't really control or, or understand. And it, when so many people say, like, I don't know what I'm passionate about or I don't I don't kind of know what I want to do or it's almost as if those inclinations, those those seeds, those nags, they're, they're just not taking root in the same way that that they could. Yeah, I think that's a good, definitely a good observation because I think... For some, it might be to start a company, but another might be to join one or to be or to change direction or stay the course. And I think it's a lot of the, so a lot of the questions people I, I get often get is like, so how do you know what your passion is? And I'm always like, just get started somewhere. And then you kind of discover it along the way, sort of in the same way. Like if you're looking in the wilderness and you're looking from outside, you're like, where should I go? Like, well, just go in and start to explore. Um, I think this idea of, exploring is actually a great thing there's a lot of people of my age now in the late 20s early 30s have noticed that making pretty big career changes and some people are like well was that their first 10 years a waste and i was like well probably not because they kind of needed those couple of years to figure out what they want to do and i think it's pretty naive to ask someone after finishing high school or college or university to be able to know exactly what they want to do it is a quite an overwhelming idea but actually 
just going and starting and to your point, listening to the niggles and, and just sort of taking small steps can often be the seeds for something that you really are passionate about as well. But I think um, being patient is actually an important thing. You don't need to find it straight away. Taking your time, allowing it to sort of take root, like using the analogy of seed, letting it to take root. You almost don't want to force it. I think just letting it take root, starting to like, using the analogy of seed, like water it by kind of like exploring it more of it, I think is a really helpful metaphor for how to think about finding good work or finding your passion and things like that. Mm, and it does come back to what you started with, that actually this is, uh, you you don't have to say that you are going to outright kind of follow your passion and forget everything else um but instead you should in some way f find the space to explore what what passions are available to you um and kind of see the reality and the practical reality of those those passions once you've understood them in some way mm. yeah ex exactly i think i remember when i was much younger my goal was to become a a pilot and then i realized i get I feel like sick. Like I'd get actually sick. Just like I mean, if I was to fly like in the army or something, I'd like I'd probably get sick doing that. Uh, also, at the time, didn't want to move overseas. There wasn't a lot going on in Australia there, and it's like, well, that's great though. Like I don't think I did not find my passion. I just had to explore it a little bit more and then go. Actually, maybe not for me. And that's that's the one thing I think is actually in my mind really healthy to go and try things and see if it's for you or not. I think. I made a conscious choice, especially in very structured jobs like consulting, where it's, you know, you kind of know what you need to do. You just keep, you do this, you get to the next level, you do this, you get to the next level. I was like, actually, I think I would find the most interesting work by just always playing. I think someone described to me as your 20s is almost like your playpen. Just just have fun. Just, just go and have fun and explore things. Because the best way to discover what you're really passionate about is to just go and explore and then learn a whole bunch. And actually, for me, a value of success as discovery and learning rather than linear progression was a helpful framework to think about my 20s of career, um, where oftentimes people say, you need to use 20 to establish yourself and things like that. I was like, I'm going to use my 20s to just explore and have fun. Mm. I think what I've enjoyed most from our conversation is how, on the one hand, you're, you, you have a very practical approach to both sides of finding work it's almost as if on the on the passion side it makes a lot of sense to be practical to write things down to explore things whilst you can um to use the 20s as your chance to to go through that experience but then on the other hand once you have discovered those passions there's no need to then pursue those passions doggedly and religiously you can instead you can instead take them and and see where they fit with the needs of the world mm. yeah a hundred percent i think there's a period of time where i thought my passion in fintech would be in emerging markets in southeast asia that was one thesis and then i got there like mm, maybe not but you kind of need to kind of step into it to then get maybe not right now and i think uh there's an element of just go and do it or start to just take a few steps in you don't need to have it all thought through and planned out i think actually just getting going and i think this i always come with just this idea of just get going 
the people are like, oh, I want to learn. I want to consider becoming a software engineer. I'm like, well, just get going then. Like, just start. And you'll find pretty quickly if you don't like it or not. <laughs> you don't need to commit a five-year commitment to it. You could just do something on the weekend, give it a test, see whether you like it. And then all of a sudden you go, you know what? I love it or I don't love it. And I kind of take that approach with many things in life. Just like, just, just give it a go. You just don't know until you try it, basically. Thank you so much for sharing how you've navigated it. Um, I've really valued listening to it and feel like I will adopt a more practical approach, perhaps in some of the, the ways that I see things too. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Awesome. Thanks, Ben. It's great, great to be able to talk to you and explore this topic with you as well. Cool. All right, man. Take it easy. Awesome. See you, Ben. Take care. The Best Work Podcast is produced by the team at Cord. I'd love your advice on how we can make sure the Best Work Podcast is having a profound impact on the way we all pursue our best work. Email me at bennettcord.co. You can also find a transcript of this conversation, insightful video content, and more at cord.co slash insights. Thanks for listening.